You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today, as we are closer and closer to the draft, I talk to former Washington safety and ESPN analyst, Matt Bowen. One of my favorites to talk to whenever, whether it's for this or even just in a regular conversation on the phone where it's just he and I. He studied the quarterbacks, so we we talk a lot about the quarterbacks in this class, especially those of interest here, including Davis Mills from Stanford and Florida's Kyle Trask, as well as guys at the top of the draft. He talks about Justin Fields, things that he learned while studying Justin Herbert last year that he is applying now this year to his analysis of Fields. Plus, we talk a lot about linebackers and safeties. He gives you a couple of safeties to watch after the first round and other areas of interest for Washington. He compared Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa, the linebacker from Notre Dame, to a former Panther linebacker. I always love talking to Matt. He's absolutely one of the best analysts around. Don't forget, you can follow Matt on Twitter at MattBowen41 and watch him on ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. There will be two draft specials in the next week or so with the Matchup crew. Check it out. And you can read my work on ESPN.com. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at John Kime ESPN. Before I share my conversation with Matt, a couple things. Let's talk smoke screens because that word kind of gets used a lot these days. Not kind of, it does get used a lot. And I get asked about how often, how often do teams lie to you? Do they lie to you a lot? And has it, have you seen them in the past doing that? And I'll, I'll just say this. If they're blatantly lying, they damage the relationship that you have with them. And I think most people involved understand that. Because the one thing you have to have here is trust. And while there may be sometimes a guy might lie a little bit, I don't think it's going to be so overt or so... Um, maybe so deep, I guess I should say that, you know, they're going to be some, they're going to be a little bit lies here and there. I get that, but I don't think they're going to be so blatant at times with this, because again, you damage their relationship. So you may get away with it here, but it's going to damage that relationship throughout the rest of the year. And you have to understand that. I can't say that people in the building had just flat out lied to me. Sometimes it's hard to know because after the fact, you may not know, but usually, usually what happens is, they played, they may, they may just play down a guy they really like or want, and maybe they just don't share that information about that particular player. Maybe they go overboard on another guy that they do kind of like, but maybe they like somebody else more. That's part of the game. And I understand that teams don't share a whole lot right now, anyways. I do hear things without a doubt. Absolutely hear things. And it's not just coming from in the building. Sometimes, I mean, I'm gonna get a lot of stuff outside there, but I'm gonna get some stuff from inside. There are times I might ask somebody something and they might not answer. In some ways, that's kind of my answer, but it's not something I can really report because how do I say that? A, a source who didn't respond to this question, well, that's not a confirmation, but it does certainly lead me to believe that there may be something to this particular player and rather than lie, don't respond. I'm cool with that. Just don't, you know, I, again, I get some of the stuff that you may do, but when you're just flat out lying a lot, it damages a relationship and that's never a good thing. Now I will say, um, and sometimes like going back to the text, they just won't respond. So rather than lying, just don't respond. And that's happened over the, over the years with a lot of people. A lot of the smoke screens can come from agents who have a vested interest in their guy, playing their guy up. I remember in 2011, there were reports leading in uh, as we got close to the draft that Washington was interested in drafting quarterback Blaine Gabbert. Well, Based on my intel, there was no shot at that happening, and I just kind of scoffed at any reports about that because I knew what my intel was based on. It was specific dislikes of his game, not just playing down an interest. And there's a difference. If they say, I don't like 
that he sees the rush too much. Well, I know that kind of eliminates him. So sure enough, Washington traded out of that spot where it could have drafted him. So my sense at the time was that was his agent trying to drum up interest in his guy or somebody else trying to drum up trade interest in that. That definitely happens. Maybe the smokescreen comes based on what Carolina puts out, possibly drafting a quarterback at number eight. In some ways, that's what was- That's why Washington kept alive the notion that maybe it would take a quarterback at number two. Well, that really was never going to happen. And I never really went strong with that because I knew better. But it was done in part to, but the, you, you did mention as a possibility, but really not that. Um, but it was done, I know from their end, to try and maybe entice a team to tra- to see if they would trade up and what they could get for that number two pick. Um, the, you know, when you're drafting at 19, there are so many scenarios that exist and to rule anything out now would be silly. That's why trading into the top 10, probably the back end for a player is not out of the question. Is it likely? Well, it's really hard to say because we don't know how the picks will unfold. So how can you say for sure? Nobody can, they don't know. There will be, mo- so anybody who says they know That's BS. Nobody knows. There will be multiple players they like. You can never target one guy at 19. They could trade up a few spots for a linebacker or a tackle. I know that's an option. It's a definite option. They could trade back if those guys are gone and they failed to move up. I would do what I could to add another pick in the first few rounds for next offseason, simply because that draft could be stacked with a lot of players going back to school for another season or who didn't come out because they felt like they they didn't they needed that year to develop and they go back in. Next year could be a pretty strong class, especially at the top. Anyway, just know, I just know that it's not always the teams that are lying, though some will spread falsehoods. And they might mention a few guys they'd be okay with, but leave out again the guys that they really want. That's how it should be. I had heard that Carolina knew Washington would end up taking Dwayne Haskins a couple of years ago because of all the stuff that was coming out of here in the days leading up to the draft, and certainly on the day of the draft. It allowed them to feel okay not trading up to get the guy they wanted, defensive end Brian Burns, or defensive end slash linebacker Brian Burns. That's why it's important to be on the same page with all the info and this group is. I will say in the past, um, there are times where you would hear like, well, here are at, at 17, here are five guys that we like. Well, depending on who you talk to, you could get a different feel for what they might do because person X might like this particular player. Person Y might want this player, but Bruce Allen or Dan Snyder may want this guy. And that's what happened a lot. I know that that's ha- that happened a few times with this group. And But when you get that, and if you feel like your voice isn't being heard, you tend to get leaks. And that's what happened there. And that's not what's happening now. So you can take some solace in that. Anyway, what I do know, Kyle Trask and Davis Mills are quarterbacks to watch on day two. We'll go from there. Here's a little bit of info for you. So I went back, and I don't know what to make of this, but I'm going to give it to you anyways. Went back and looked at what Martin Mayhew did as a general manager of Detroit in the first round and what Carolina did when either Marty Herney or Ron Rivera were there. In, in Mayhew's eight drafts, six of, those top, six of the first round picks were linemen, um, including two offensive linemen. In Carolina, in Carolina's 18 drafts where either Herney or Rivera were either in charge or key decision maker, they took an offensive lineman only two of 18 times in the first round. Four times they picked a linebacker in the first round. With Rivera as a coach, they took four offensive linemen combined in the first three rounds of his from his entire uh, regime. What does it mean? Well, they look for impact or skill positions, ends, linebackers, receivers. In those 18 drafts, they took more running backs in the first round, I think it was three, than they took offensive linemen. To be honest, I don't know if this is meaningless or not. 18 drafts is more than a trend, but you also go based on what the talent is there. And there are many ways to build a line. But anyway, I just I found it interesting because I did the homework, so I thought I'd share it with you. I also think that Mayhew is really good at seeing the big picture based on everybody I've talked to about him. And I think in these scenarios, that helps quite a bit. And I do know that Rivera has been very adamant about building a really strong offensive line. And he's been very adamant about, and he said it again in the press conference the other couple of days ago, about wanting to um, make sure that, you know, the, they, the, when he was in Carolina, they got Cam Newton and they built around him. I think they're taking the opposite approach of building around, building a foundation and offense and then getting the quarterback. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, I'll have more draft info during the week and a few more episodes before the draft. But for now, let's get to Matt Bowen. 
So after this break, I will be back with ESPN's Matt Bowen as we discuss his breakdowns of quarterback Davis Mills, among others, and other quarterbacks he likes in this draft. We touched on a few of them, plus a few linebackers. I'm Byron Kerr, host of Curly W. I've spent 15 years covering baseball and the Washington Nationals. My Curly W podcast will give you the opportunity to visit with Nats players, current and former, as well as coaches and coordinators at the major and minor league levels. We will jump into the 21 campaign and look back at how the Nats got here and what prospects are close to making it to the show. Subscribe to Curly W wherever you get your podcasts. Another great show from Empire Media. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Matt Bowen. Well, Matt, I always enjoy having you on. Always great insight. I do want people to go look at your story you just wrote for ESPN Plus, which is the player comps for, I think it was like 15 of the prospects. I think there's one interesting one in there that I want to get to in a few minutes when we talk about linebackers as it pertains to Washington. But you've studied the quarterbacks, and I want to start with quarterbacks. And I want to start with some guys who maybe are day two picks that will intrigue Washington. Let's start with Davis Mills. I think he's a guy that is on Washington's radar without a doubt. What's what's your take on what have you seen from Davis Mills in your studies? You have to start with with Davis Mills, John. He's a former five star recruit. <clears throat> you know, obviously, you know, I coach at the high school level, and I've had people say, "Well, what does that matter?" It does matter because he has five star traits. You don't lose those traits right throughout your college career. Now, Davis Mills has not had a lot of in game experience. He's played less games than Trey Lance, but you have to look at what he brings from you know a traits perspective is projecting into the National Football League. I think he's got a big-time arm, John. I think he throws with anticipation and location. And he can vary ball speeds. That's important. And when I talk mm-hmm. about vary ball speeds, obviously it's the, the arm talent to attack all levels of the field. We understand that. But also the ability to throw with pace and touch. You see that on his film. I think he's a good mover inside the pocket. He doesn't have elite movement training. That's been a big discussion about the top five quarterbacks with Mac Jones versus a Justin Fields or a Trey Lance. Um, Davis Mills is not – going to have a ton of second reaction ability. But can he develop to a point where he can move within the pocket? Can he slide, climb up, reset his throwing window? Does he have enough ability to an escape and extend and get to the edge of the pocket? I think he does have that. But it's really it's the arm talent for me, the five-star traits coming out of high school. I like his film. Now is his film finished product, not even close. Right. But you do see signs or flashes on the, on the tape where I look at a player and I say, okay, he has what I call, John, developmental upside. I don't think he's an immediate starter in the NFL, but can he be someone in terms of a team like Washington where he plays behind a Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he learns from a Ryan Fitzpatrick? Now, ultimately, John, and you and I have talked about this for a long time, you have to play. You have to play. You have to right. be game reps. doesn't matter if you're talking about a safety. doesn't matter if talking about a linebacker. But obviously, for a quarterback, you have to play and make those mistakes. But I think he does have upside, and you're seeing that. Some mocks have him in late first round. I don't think he's a late one. I think he's a day two pick. But again, pocket size, pro arm, the ability to process, throw with anticipation, location. And, and I'll say this, John, because I get caught in it too. You spend so much time on the second reaction ability, right? Right. Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, like we mentioned, uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. You have to master the routine throws first. Right. You have to. You have to master, master A, B, and C first. Because those are the throws you routinely have to make in the National Football League. The ability to throw with location anticipation and rhythm and time. I think with Davis Mills, if you're talking about his ceiling, that's what he'll be. He'll be a pocket thrower that can move and maneuver and navigate inside the pocket, but ultimately make the routine throws. And then you can scheme him up within a pro offense, more defined reads, defined throws, and your scheme verticals down the field. I'm sure you probably watch his game too, the Cal game. He was pretty good mm-hmm. in that game. And there were yes. two plays in there that I remember seeing. It was all, I think they may have been back-to-back or they were pretty close together where he throws like a little, um, I think it was a hitch route, but it was like it was on time and in rhythm. And then the next play, he gets chased up in the pocket, and he's, as he's being chased up, he has to dump a little floater over the linebacker to, I think, a back, and it was just a perfectly thrown ball, just a little dump pass. But it, was, but it showed a couple different attributes that he had. And even in that game, you talk about the anticipation. I think there were a couple times he got in trouble with the anticipation, but mm-hmm. not necessarily. Sometimes there were one or two times because of a throw. But sometimes it's because the receiver is getting bumped off their off their route. And right. so it messes up that, but it's still the right throw, but it kind of messed things up. But it, I felt like that game showed a lot 
uh, in him. And you have to understand, John, we can go to take on Trevor Lawrence. You're going to find situations where you can't anticipate sure. quicker. There's, there's going to be a developmental process or growth process for all these young quarterbacks. Everyone has to understand it. Some have higher level traits. Some have higher ceiling. Now, Trevor Lawrence, he's at the highest ceiling, probably the highest floor in this class as well. When I look at Justin Fields and Trey Lance, incredibly high ceilings. Okay, do they have the floor of a Mac Jones? I don't know that. That's for evaluators to tell you. But I look at the ceiling in those situations. With Davis Mills, I do think he has a high ceiling as a pocket thrower. And ultimately, as we all know, that's where you have to win. Right. You have to win from the pocket. If you can't throw from the pocket, all the other trades don't matter. What do you think he loses by only playing 11 games? Well, it's a smaller sample size. You don't see enough uh, game situations like you've seen with Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. They played longer. Now, Mac Jones is only a one-year starter. We understand that. But I just don't think you see enough NFL situations. You know, that's all it is. You're, you're projecting more. But, again, this is – I've I said this, and, and we could talk about this later, but I'll, I'll bring it up now. Okay, I missed on, on Justin Herbert last year. Okay, what I mean by missed is I said, I, you know, I don't really know because there was concerns on his college tape. There was concerns. And he played, in a, you know, a heavy college spread offense, throwing key screens. Right. Um, I said he was a see-it thrower quarterback. What I meant by that is he would wait for the window to open. Okay. The difference you have to look at there is I didn't bet on the traits. You have to bet the traits. You have to bet on the traits. That's why I look at a quarterback like Justin Fields, obviously as an Ohio State grad, you understand Justin Fields, you got to bet on the traits with Justin Fields. He's 6'3", 230. Elite physical tools inside the pocket, outside the pocket. Those are the traits you have to bet on. With Davis Mills, if I'm evaluating him, I'm going to bet on his traits as a thrower. Because I've seen enough of it on film to say he can do it. Now let's put him in our offense. Let's develop him. Let's coach him up. I have to trust my coaching staff to do that. And I have to trust my system that it will fit his traits. And it's funny, Matt, because that's been a big topic for me and as an Ohio State guy. Because even with well, – I want to get to some of these top guys in a few minutes. But just the last part on the Justin Fields thing for now with the traits – when people are saying, oh, well, what Ohio State quarterback ever did is like, don't look at the school, look at the mm-hmm. traits, because the traits are what translate to the NFL. And they haven't had a guy with his traits at that school, I don't think ever. So I think it's, you know, but that, but I agree with you. You've got to look at the traits. One of those guys, too, that they're going to look at on day two would be Kyle Trask. Mm-hmm. What's your take on him? And, and after, as you get into that, how do you feel he compares to a Davis Mills as a prospect? I think Davis Mills has higher traits as a thrower. I'll hear that right now. Now, Kyle Trask, I think he's in the NFL. John, he'll have to be a rhythm and timing thrower. You know, in a heavily schemed offense with those defined throws, especially intermediate throws in the middle of the field. I think he's very good in terms of placement and timing in middle of the field throws or intermediate throws, if you want to call them that. Now, he, again, like Davis Mills, like Mac Jones, he is not an elite mover. He doesn't have those movement traits. But – the best thing I think about Kyle Trask is his pocket movement. I think he's really good inside the pocket. You see a ton of that on the tape in terms of his ability to slide, square his shoulders, reset his throwing window, and deliver a catchable football. So, again, does he have the traits of Davis Mills as a thrower? No, I don't. I think Davis Mills is going to have a higher grade. I think Davis Mills will come off the board first. I think Kyle Trask is going to have to be a developmental number two within your system that you can scheme around, okay, talent around him build an offense around him and put him in a situation where he can make those timing and rhythm throws and trust him, even though he doesn't have great movement traits. That if he does feel pressure, you see enough on his Florida team against SEC competition. That's the thing about the SEC last year. There was no weeks off. It was right. all in-conference play. So he played high-quality competition, very productive, and his ability to slide and reset his window in the pocket, that transfers to the NFL because we see the pocket quarterbacks. And, look, I'm not making this comparison. and Let's just put that out there now. But when you look at the elite pocket throwers in the NFL, a Breeze or a Brady, what do they do so well? They navigate and master right, inside right, the tackle, right. right? Because they're not elite moves. But they are so good at finding that throwing window where they can reset their platform and throw that that makes them high level. Right. And Peyton Manning couldn't move, but he could move in the right. pocket. And that's all you need yeah. to do. With, with I am curious for you as a safety this was not your position, but you had a unique position analyzing quarterbacks. That's what you've always done to see. What are the first things that you look at in a quarterback because of your experience as a safety? Um, well, but because of my experience and now coaching football, right. uh, and it might sound different, the first thing I look for is a physical element of the position. Uh, I really think that's important. 
uh, the, t- the toughness, the intangibles of the position, both inside, outside the pocket, or as a ball carrier. You look at Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance. When they run the football, whether off script or design runs, they have ball carrier vision, they have ball carrier toughness. That show is in the tape. Now, processing ability is important. There's no doubt about it. But like I said, with every one of these quarterbacks, you're going to find situations that take you say, that's going to have to be faster in the NFL. Right. It's no different than telling me coming out of Iowa that you're, you better come out of your brakes faster. You're going to get beat. <laughs> right? It's the same thing. You're going to have to make that transition and adjust to NFL speed. I do think arm talent matters. I do think it matters. I think you have to have enough arm talent. You don't have to have Josh Allen's arm. Okay? Right. You have to have enough arm talent. But I use the term attack all levels of the field. The ability to navigate traffic, like we talked about with Kyle Trask. I think the movement traits are important, but they're different type of movement traits. Obviously, Fields, Lance, and Lawrence, they can get outside the pocket, create off schedule. Zach Wilson, we understand that. Zach Wilson's got the top. You're talking about second reaction ability. He's the best in this class at creating mm-hmm. off script or off schedule. Um, and I look at the routine throws. You got to master the routine throws like we talked about. Um, but that toughness, the intangibles, that's one of the first things I look for. Then you look at the traits. And you got and if you're drafting in the top 10, you want quarterbacks with high-level traits. Right. That's what you want. And accuracy and location obviously are very important. I use the term a runner's ball, and you see that a lot with Trevor Lawrence. But the runner's ball is, John, if you're throwing a crosser or an overout or a deep, deep end breaker, you want to put that ball in the upfield shoulder. So they don't right. break side. That leads to obviously catch and run opportunities. Trevor Lawrence is excellent at that. But all these quarterbacks, you can look at situations on their film, especially the guy with high-level traits. You see it a lot with – not a lot, but you've seen it in instances with Justin Fields at Indiana game, right? Yeah. What they reduce sometimes, they rely so much on their high-level traits yeah. because they are five-star players with those yeah. five-star traits. And sometimes that gets them into negative situations, okay? But, again, yeah. that can be coached. And, and you expect it. If you're, I, and I've seen it at the high school level. Now, obviously, we don't have – uh, I'm not coaching Justin Fields. I would like to coach Justin Fields. But um, you see it w- with the top players in the team that sometimes they lean too much on their physical tools. Okay? And, and that's just coaching. That's just development. That's just reps. But really those categories I look at there, it's the mental processing, the physical tools, the ability to move, the ability to attack all levels, vary your ball speeds, throw, ability to throw with touch and pace. And location is very important. And I think location and accuracy are different. Oh, very different. I don't think people always like people look at percentage completion percentage. To me, it's are you giving a guy the chance to run after the catch? That right. is accuracy, and and you you know it's a, it's the shoulder, and there's like eight inches difference, but it could be in the difference between ten more yards or none. And right. so I'm with you on that. Is there a quarterback beyond those two in a day two day three situation that is there one guy that you say I really like this guy after those two? I think you have to look at Kellen Mond from Texas A&M, right? Mm-hmm. Kellen yeah. Mond has a lot of college experience in, in the SEC conference. Uh, I think Kellen Mond has dual threat traits. You can scheme for him, get him on the move. A lot of You look at the Texas A&M tape last year, I thought it was very good for Kellen Mond. There's a lot of play action, a lot of pro concepts. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he's going to be in the NFL. He's going to be in a play action heavy offense, which gives him more defined reads. He can create off schedule. He's got enough arm talent. He's very good at, at – at, at, Throwing on the run, okay, and sometimes you don't quantify that as a key trait, but oh, we see how many boot concepts we see every yeah. Sunday, John. A ton of them. Yeah. That's the game right now is misdirection, grabbing the eyes of the defense and getting your quarterback to the edge of the pocket so he can give him more defined reads, more clear throws, and more clear throwing reads. I think Kellen Mond has day two traits. There's no question about that. Now, where he goes, I don't know that, um, but – He's in that he's in that mix of the second tier. And, you know, once you get past the top five quarterbacks, I think the next three are going to be Mills, Trask, and Mon. And I do think out of those three, I would grade Davis Mills high as the yeah, highest. I would too. And I, I, the more I've watched it, and the more I do like that kid. And it's funny with Mon because all these other guys were, except for like Trevor Lawrence, because he's played a lot more. Mon has played a lot of games, and he fits yeah. that category like where. The experience is like that's what you want, and whereas everybody else, you're betting on upside. It almost seems like he's being held back because we've seen more of him. And it may be like there may be these other guys that just feel they have higher level traits, but he has played a lot. He's got that experience that everybody says they want. No, I agree with that. And you got a lot of tape to watch with Kellen. Yep. You can watch yep. his college development and then try to project that in terms of his pro development. <clears throat> and I like the offense he played in. And understand. 
when we talk about traits, traits matter first, but also the offense he played in, I think some of that will transition to the NFL. As far as the we'll go a couple minutes on the top top couple guys. Well, we're gonna leave Wilson and Lawrence aside because you know, I think you know, after those guys, Mac Jones, you know, Trey Lance and Justin Fields, um, this team, you know, I've been told they haven't ruled out trading in the top 10. I don't know that it's likely. I think you keep every scenario alive because what if what if you can get a good offer to move up to get a guy you like? Which which of those three is there a guy that you say like, is there a guy you like more out of those out of that group? Um, I'd probably say Justin Fields, <clears throat> but I think it's close. Obviously, the talk about Mac Jones is very popular right now, right? Because we, <clears throat> you know, right. assume just anticipate that that could be Kyle Shanahan moving right. up to get Mac Jones. And what that tells you about the Niners one that John Lynch and Cal Shanahan believe in their current roster construction that they can make a run. Right. It also tells you that Kyle, they believe in Kyle's ability to evaluate the quarterback position because this is his pick. Right. Um, now, do I think Mac Jones would fit in San Francisco? Of course I do. Mac Jones is that anticipation, timing, rhythm thrower. Yep. Who throws with high-level location. You put him in a defined play-action passing game where he hits that back foot and can anticipate a small window and put it there, Mac Jones can do that for you. You can scheme him on deep ball throws down the field. He doesn't have the arm talent of Trey Lance or Justin Fields. doesn't have the movement ability of those two quarterbacks. But within a heavily schemed offense, which is what Kyle Shanahan's system is, there's no question he can be a productive player. I look at Fields because of the things we're talking about. You know, the intangibles won. I go back to the Clemson game when he took that shot in the ribs. Came right back in the football game. I think that creates energy for your football team. I think he's strong and tough in the pocket. There's plays that we're going to show on the matchup show next week of Justin Fields play against Indiana. Good linebacker gets free, and I mean it's an arm tackle inside the pocket. He has that physical element, also as a ball carrier. Now you understand, I, I view Justin Fields maybe a little differently, John. I think he is a pocket throw that you can scheme on design runs because of his physical right. transition. Where I think that shows up in the NFL, third and two to six, and inside the low red zone, which is a plus ten yard line and in. I think that's where you'll see, and you saw it at Ohio State too, where Justin Fields becomes more of an offensive weapon because of his ball carrier traits, his ball carrier vision, and his physicality. He does have the arm talent, there's no question about it. The deep ball accuracy jumps off the film. Now, the one thing I've heard about Justin Fields is he waits too long for his primary read to show. Okay, you can see that in some instances, but is that a product of his offense at Ohio State? That's a question I ask because you know, John, you've watched their games. It is a vertical-based offense. With a lot of option routes, or I call wide receiver convergence. I think at times Justin Fields is waiting for those routes to show. Okay, but again, put him in a schemed offense. If you put him in San Francisco, with that run game element he brings and that physical element he brings to your offense, I think it'd be a great match. I would have a hard time passing on Justin Fields at number three overall. I would, but I understand if Kyle thinks that Mac Jones is a better fit. With Trey Lance, I put Trey Lance at four. Okay, I put Trey Lance at four. I think, again, the intangibles he brings, very good decision maker, can see the field very well through pro style, play action concepts, does bring that physical element as a runner, excellent deep ball thrower, okay, in terms of what they do down the field vertically at North Dakota State, which will transfer. And I could see him going to Atlanta at four. You talk about Arthur Smith's offense and how it helped Ryan Tannehill now put a quarterback who has higher level traits projecting out than Ryan Tannehill. Um, I think it would be a great fit. I really do. And, I, you know, Atlanta's an interesting team in this draft, John. Yes, the very. You're going to have a lot of options. That could be a quarterback. That could be Kyle Pitts. That could be a wide – that could be an offensive tackle. You don't know that yet. We understand that Matt Ryan and his contract, but I'd have a hard time there, too, passing on a quarterback. Because I would say in that building is that we're never going to draft here again. We're not going to draft in the top five again. The reason we're not is we're going to draft our quarterback we can develop under Matt Ryan and be our eventual starter, and we can have, you know – solidify that position for years to come. Yeah. And I think that's like, I think it's a definite option. They have, they have to strongly consider for that reason. It's going, it's funny about that. You say about Justin Fields goes, I was going to ask you this because when I watch him and when I watch as a fan, it's going to be different than when I watch trying to analyze when I watch trying to analyze even, but some of this is the same because you see him holding the ball, but then when you study it, when you go back and watch, it's like, okay, well, who's actually ready to catch the, who's ready to, to, for him to throw to now. I feel like sometimes not only he got greedy, but Ryan Day got greedy. And I think there were like in the Northwestern game, there were a couple of times like he's got check downs available, but he's and he sees the corner sinking. But he also knows that Chris Olave can still win on this route if right. he gets to here. 
So then it's like, so I see that. I saw that happen a lot. And that's why I'm saying, is it processing speed or sometimes with him, is it greed? And, you know, and I think there's probably a little bit of both, but I do think that, and again, I think Ryan Day, then Indiana game, he got really greedy because he Mm -hmm. kept trying to go downfield against a blitz that they couldn't stop. And I will say this as a fan, I was tearing my hair out and I was yelling. It's like the short stuff is working, get back to it, but let's go on from there. So I'm not that I'm still upset about that win, but I do think that greed played into it. And that's where I wonder with him, is it X or is it Y with him? Well, I I have no question that that Justin Fields can process the pocket, process from the pocket and prosper. He can. He can get from one to two, he can get from one to two to three. You've seen it on the film. And again, you're looking at the traits. If we put him in our system and coach him and give him reps and show him how fast the NFL game is and how fast you have to process and understand that if you're running flat seven, which is flat corner, and the corner's sinking, you come off it now and throw the flat. Right. Okay. And that's just reps. That's just pro coaching. And I would be the same way if I had Chris Olave running a deep corner. Right. I want to take it. I want to throw it. I want to. And Olave didn't play on that Northwestern game, so I shouldn't say it. But right. I was. But they still had. There were guys that are out there that are really good, and I definitely saw that. In fact, there's one time it was a cover two corner sinking. The outlet's open right now. You get it to him, you got a chance to run. But I can tell. I I've watched them long enough to know they want the big play all the time. Right. And and you can't do that. You can't do that in the NFL. Well, it's part of quarterbacking at the younger levels. I mean, right. you, you see it every Friday night in high school, obviously. Um, not as much as in the college game. I mean, more than in the college game. But, again, that's the that's the part, the growth process of playing that position in the National Football League. Those things will come. What you can't do, you can't teach the physical element, the size, the arm talent. I call those uncoachable traits, right? Right. Because these are elite prospects we're talking about. These are top five quarterbacks. We're going to be first-round players. So those are the uncoachable traits that you can't. Just develop in your system. You can't. You simply can't do it. Okay, but what you can do is take those traits within your your system and create that growth and developmental path to where it becomes faster. And that's what we're looking at here. Look, there's 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 clips from uh, Trevor Lawrence's tapes where the footwork is off, the accuracy uh, is up and down on, on boundary throws. Okay, that can be coached. You can't coach his arm talent. You just can't. You, you, you know, you can't. You have it or you don't. So, again, it goes back to traits, and that's why I brought that up with Justin Herbert. Last year, I, you know, I wrote that piece at ESPN this week with the comps. My comp for Justin Fields was Justin Herbert. I know. I saw, yeah, I saw that. Because I, I think they both had the physical tools and the traits. When you put them in a, a pro-passing offense with talent around them and use those traits, you saw with Justin Herbert last year how many schemed vertical throws they had. Right. They were taking shots down the field. How many deep in-breakers that played with his arm talent, his ability to anticipate and put the ball on the upfield show. And then you saw the movement ability with Justin Hurt. Some scheme runs, but also the off-schedule plays to get outside the pocket. And the strength within the pocket, I think that's so important in today's NFL. Because the pocket is going to get crowded. There's going to be people at your feet. There's going to be defensive ends that get a hand on you. Are you strong enough to work through that arm tackle, slide up in the pocket, reset your throwing window, and drive the ball at location? A lot that goes into it, but those traits I see with Justin Fields and Justin Herbert. I heard that name compared to him from somebody else I talked to earlier this week. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about a fun new offer from Monkey Knife Fight that can enhance any sports experience, whether you're at a game, on your couch, or in a bar. It's a daily fantasy sports league that is easy to play. You can sign up on monkeyknifefight.com. Yes, it's monkeyknifefight.com. Use promo code JKR and play games such as more or less. Will an NBA player score more or less than a listed point total? You can do the same in baseball. Will a pitcher have more or less strikeouts than a given amount, etc.? It's fun, man. And every Friday, it's home run derby. Bet on three guys with home runs that night. All three hit one, you share in the prize pool. Choose from any sport from NASCAR to UFC and even League of Legends. And of course, once football rolls back around, there will be even more fun prop bets. This is daily sports betting designed for the average fan to use their knowledge and have some fun. Sign up now at monkeyknifefight.com. That's monkeyknifefight.com. Use promo code JKR. That's promo code JKR. Let's go to linebacker, because I think that's a definite area they want to address. And you had a really good comp in this player comp 
for Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, which was Shaq Thompson, whom this group drafted a couple years ago in Carolina. What do you? Why do you compare him to him, and what do you see in Koromoa as as a as an NFL prospect? And I'm going to before you answer that too. Before you answer that, I talked to somebody earlier this week who their comment was, "If you put the linebacker." We're going to run at him. You put him at safety. We're going to throw at him. In other words, he wasn't sure where exactly. You know, he felt he was a linebacker, but wasn't sure if he was too small for a linebacker, but maybe just too big for a safety. Yeah, it's a great question because I, I do think some teams could look at him as a safety. If you're playing a cover three system, could it be a strong safety? You know, your box, your overhang defender who drops in the curl, and when you play three match, he can get to the bottom hip and run with seams and corners with help over the top. I think he can do that stuff. I think he's best as an you know, an off-the-ball stack linebacker slash hybrid defender because I think really what you're getting to with him, John, is where does he play in nickel and dime? Right. And where does he play nickel and dime? And I think that's where you're really going to see his traits. He's got explosive traits. He will strike you on contact. He's got second-level range. Now, he's not a true cover guy, but can he match? When I talk about three match, can he match with someone underneath, be that vertical match defender? Sure he can. Not going to be in true man coverage situations. Then we get that, That's a thing we get to all the time, John. And we'll talk about that with safeties. It's one thing to cover down over a slot when you're centering pressure. Okay. It's another thing to cover Cole Beasley on third and two to six. Okay. That's completely different. All right. You can cover down as a, as a safety. There's no question. But being a true slot defender, I think that gets thrown around a little too loosely because they're different things. Right. That's why you have orders to match up to Cole Beasley. But getting back to Awusakoromo, I really like it. I, I do. I think you have to find a place for him. I think he's your weak side linebacker. Okay, someone that can scrape to the football. You don't want him taking on ISO blocks all day. I understand it because what is he, 215, somewhere around there, 215. 215, but 220, yeah. The key term I use with him, John, he's got disruptive traits. Disruptive plays win football games. Those are impact plays. Guys that can be schemed on pressures. You can scheme him on pressures. Guys that can be that overhang defender for you in your nickel or dime situations because that's your guy that cut off, cuts the ball off on the edge whether it's a toss, whether it's a run that bounces, whether it's a screen outside, whether it's a ball in the flat. You have to have that player to cut off the ball on the edge. And he's got the traits, the speed, the ability to strike on contact to do that for you. He's got what I call forward ability, John. Okay, forward ability is someone you want who plays downhill. You keep the ball in yep. front of you. That's where you see those traits. You don't want him playing with the ball behind you. You don't, okay? But that forward ability – he can do that for you. I do think he has first-round traits. I think the system matters. How you scheme for him matters. Because this is a perfect example of a player who could be labeled as that hybrid linebacker slash safety. You have to utilize him correctly. Do you think a Del Rio defense would be good for him? I think it would. I think it would, especially in sub. Because I think there's a lot of things you could do with him in sub. And especially in the pressures. How you scheme him on pressures. Being a second-level blitzer, you know, that's obviously not on the line of scrimmage, the second-level blitzer, right. that you occupy blockers and get him a free run at the quarterback, and then you see that short area burst to close and make plays. And, you know, it's funny, because I feel like his energy flash. You can feel his energy mm -hmm. when you're watching him on film. Uh, Zayvon Collins, what do you think about yeah. him? I like Zayvon Collins, 6'4", 260 pounds. He's a big fella, man, and he can move. An easy, fluid mover at the yes. second level. When I watch Zayvon Collins, okay, have you ever been to a high school game on Friday night and there's a Division One football player on the yes. field? You know right away, right? You can just yeah. tell because of their movement traits, their, their height, weight, and speed, their disruptive ability. That was Zayvon Collins, you know, playing in a non-Power 5 conference. In turn of the tape, he stands out. You know, the one tape I really liked in Zayvon Collins was against a Power 5 corner, Oklahoma State. How he pressured. They schemed him off the edge. He used delayed stunts inside to get him through the A and B gaps. You can see him get sideline to sideline. Another player with disruptive ability, and he's good in the pass game too because he has that length and size. He can he can cloud those throwing lanes underneath. Has him, saw him as a hook saw that a lot. Yeah, has him a hook defender inside. He's got that length. Now you're reducing that throwing window for the quarterback. He had two picks last year. Um, I think two pick sixes actually. One to win a football game against SMU. One against South Florida. I think he is an ascending talent. And I think he plays hard too. And that's the thing. I think there's effort on the film. And every time I watch the film, that's probably the coaching perspective. I want to see guys that run the football. I want to see guys that play with that extra gear, that high motor. And you get that with Zayvon Collins. I think he's a very interesting prospect. I do think 
that's the range where he's probably going to go, John. Yeah. You know, starting that back half of the first round, whether it's 19 with Washington or into the 20s, I think that that's where he fits. Where because he's got that size and like you know, do you feel like he's a is he a three four outside backer? Is he a fourth? Do you think he'd be a four three end? Do you think he can be an, a four three outside backer, which is what they would want here? I think you put him as a four three sand linebacker. I okay. think he can do that. I think that's a guy that can line up over the tight end and under fronts. A guy who can scheme on edge pressures. Uh, you know, can he be utilized like a Rashawn Evans out of Alabama, who's with the Tennessee Titans now? You okay. know, Rashawn Evans. Uh, you know, coming off his Alabama tape. There was times when Nick Saban would scheme him as an edge rusher. And, and, and here's the thing, John, about today's NFL. We're going to do this on our draft shows for matchup. There's so many multiple fronts now, right? Everyone runs multiple fronts. So guys are, you know, it, it caters to defenders with versatility and, and explosive traits because you can scheme them off twists and stunts. Right. You use tilt fronts to get a guy like Zayvon Collins a one-on-one, maybe loop it inside against the guard. You know, there's ways to do it. We saw it last year with Washington. With Allen and Chase Young, how they twisted and stunted those guys to get them one-on-ones, get Chase Young favorable matchups to get home to the quarterback. Washington does that. Everyone in the league does it. So you're looking with, for guys who have the physical traits, but also the explosive traits and that short area speed to get home to the quarterback. And now your job as a defensive line coach and defense coordinator is put them in those positions where you can maximize those traits. Yeah, I, I really like Zayvon Collins a lot just because like to see a guy that size – now, I know he's not facing all high-level Division One talent passing games all the time, but he moved well in coverage, I felt. The, the other guy is Jamin Davis. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I – and I was just – my little two cents, he covers very well. He had some nice coverage um, uh, situations against, against Kyle Pitts. But I'm also not sold on him in the run as a run defender just yet. What do you see out of him? I think he's a, you know, he's a guy with a ton of upside, you know, one year production basically out of University right. of Kentucky. Um, if you look at his testing numbers from his pro day, they jump. Okay. Yes, he's got it based on the testing numbers and based on the tape. He does impact the passing game. I think you have to do that. If you're yep. going to be a stack linebacker in today's NFL, because you go back to the Super Bowl and that's how we're doing it for the matchup show. We always look at the Super Bowl because look, everyone else in the league does too. What right. does Tampa Bay have defensively? They have a front four that can be schemed. And with four guys get home to the quarterback, they have two stacked linebackers, Levante, Dave, and Devin White, that have second-level range, can get sideline to sideline, cut off the ball in the run game, but also impact the passing game. You look at that Super Bowl when Tampa played two men, it was Levante, David versus Travis Kelsey. Right. did a really good job. You, okay, you need linebackers that can cover. Cover with help over the top. If you're playing two men, get too deep over the top, man underneath. But guys who have the traits to close in the football, to stay snugged up to the hip of a wide receiver or tight end underneath, be able to zone match in coverage, also be able to pressure. But, yes, you do have to play the run game. You have to. I mean, that, we always do that, John, and, and I'm guilty of that too. When we talk about defensive tackles and defensive ends, linebackers will be schemed and pressure. It's all about the pass game. If you can't play the run game, hard to get in the field. Right? Then I- you become a rotational player who becomes a sub-package player. And a lot of times for young players, it does happen, though. That is their their primary role early in the career. You you play on third downs. You play on special teams because of your because of your speed, your ability to hit and tackle in space. But you have to be able to play the run game. And with a guy like Davis, I think he's a weak side back. He's a weak side back who can scrape to the football. Same thing we talked about earlier with the Wusakoroma. Guys that have those traits, you want to keep them a little clean so they can get to the football. You don't want to be your stand linebacker where all the traffic is. you got people at your feet. There's a lot of bodies to work through. You want the guys that can scrape to the football because then you see those traits in that short area closing. And I think with him, the one thing I liked about him in the run game was he had good vision for where it's going. I just felt like he sometimes either didn't get there and maybe with the scheme attacking it the way maybe you would want him to, but I felt like his vision was really good with it. So I, it feels like there's traits that you can develop with that if you're able to keep guys off of him. So, you know, where do you think Micah Parsons stacks in all this? Uh, I do think Micah Parsons, if you're just basing on the traits and the tape, he's the top linebacker in this class. Right. I, I believe that. I think he's got, you know, and, and my, that piece I did the other day, in terms of finding a comp, I, I settled on Darius Leonard because I think right. that's the type of impact Cody Micah Parsons has. The short area speed, the lateral change of direction, the physical play style. He can be schemed up in the NFL, and even if he wasn't, if, if even let's say he was in Lovey Smith's defense, um, Lovey Smith's old Bears defense here in Chicago, and he played that Lance Briggs role, 
I think he would clean up the stat sheet. I do. He's got that ability. And he's got the height, weight, and speed measurables as well. I mean, he, he is a big-time player at that position. And I, I'm interested to see where he goes. You know, obviously mock drafts are mock drafts. But sometimes you see him in the top ten. Sometimes you see him in you don't, the middle of the first. Sometimes you see yeah. him in the first. I don't know where he's going to go. But in terms of the traits and the competition he played at, against in the college level, there's a play uh, that we might use for the matchup show. Obviously, Michael Parsons opted out of last year. But two years ago against Ohio State on his own read scheme when Justin Fields pulls the ball, Michael Parsons has to change direction. He immediately cuts off Justin yeah. Fields. And that's against a high-level talent in Justin Fields. He has that change of direction ability. He also needed the position. He's a high-level prospect. There's no question. And the last thing I want to ask you about are safeties because this team still needs one. Now, they may end up signing Trey Boston after the draft. Right. But I think they're going to look for one in this draft. Who are a couple names to watch at that position? Well, if you're talking about a single high safety, I look at Andre Sisco from Syracuse. Now, he's coming off an injury from last season. But Andre Sisco, I think in 22 or 24 college games, John has 13 interceptions. Wow. Interceptions are hard to get. They don't just fall from the sky. Okay, I'm the perfect example. I played seven years. I got four. <laughs> Not a lot, right? So they're hard to get. They're hard to get. And I think he's got good range from the post. He's got split field range, too. When you're playing your cover two and your cover four um, shells in the back end. Um, but I think he's a guy with, with range and ball skills. And that, that's hard to find. It's hard to find true post safeties. And I'm not saying he is a true pro safe, post safety in the NFL, but he's shown that on his college right. team. And that's a guy you can get on day two of the draft. And the high-level ball skills, those win games, those change momentum of games. And guys that can protect you over the top, be that gatekeeper in the middle of the field. Uh, Richie Grant is someone I really like out of Central Florida. You know, Richie Grant does not have, you know, high-level first-round traits, but, I mean, he's just a really good football player. He can play split field for you as a cover two or quarter safety. He can roll down the run front. He brings a physical element to the box. He's got enough ability, like we talked about, that ability to cover down over a slot because he's very patient. He's a technician when he's in coverage. And I just love his play style, his effort. I think there's a place for him in the NFL. There's no question about it. Javon Holland's interesting out of Oregon. Javon Holland opted out last year. But another guy who's got playmaking traits, he's a punt returner. And anytime you have a punt returner, that shows you, one, that they have ball skills. They have they have a physical element to them as well. Uh, Javon Holland at Oregon, he played some corners, also played in the slot. And that's interesting to me because you're seeing that more in the NFL. Yeah. When you play your three safety sub packages, who your slot defender is. And again, it doesn't mean you're a true man-to-man slot defender, but you can be schemed. He's very good as that overhang defender. Short area speed, makes a lot of plays in space, made a lot of plays in the football. And I think he can match underneath and carry Elijah Molden's a name I'll bring up. Okay, Elijah Molden, he's listed as a corner out of Washington. You know, I wrote about him in my pieces. We got Compton the Buda Baker because he's got that urgency, John. And that's what I look for. All these safeties have. But Elijah Molden, it really jumps. And if I'm a secondary coach, I want a safety or a slot defender who's got a ton of urgency to their game, that they fly to the football. And I don't know what Elijah Molden ran in his pro day. I don't care because he's got, he's got game speed. Right. It shows in the film. Again, not a true man-to-man cover guy, but if you're talking about someone that can be schemed up in your defense to be disruptive and to be a tone setter, that's another thing. you got to have tone setters in your secondary. It doesn't matter what level you're talking about. When your next opponent turns in the film, you need to force them to sit up straight in their, in their chair in the meeting room, those wide receivers, and say, I don't know about this game. Right. <laughs> I'm these guys. I don't know if we really want to see them because you're so urgent to the football, because you play with speed in the back end, because you're physical at the point of attack and you strike on contact. You need tone setters in your sector. I think Elijah Molden could be one of those players for you. Matt, awesome insight. And, you know, it's funny, um, with with with, with um, the some of the articles you've written, you also had one earlier where you were projecting receivers to the best fits, and you had Rashad Bateman yeah. in Washington because of that size. And I do think that a big receiver is on the table for them at some point. I don't right. know if they – I don't know how high – but that style and your comp was Allen Robinson for him, which is perfect. Um, and a guy that like, I think is just a fantastic receiver. So I think that's on the table at some point. So I did want to let people know about that. You like Matt's insight. This is why you subscribe to ESPN plus and you watch the NFL matchup show. As Sal says, it's the best matchup show on TV, but when is, when is the show airing next week? Uh, we have two shows coming up, uh, which is really cool. They're both in prime time. I don't have the exact dates yet, but I mean, the time, the other dates. April 21st okay. is our first show. 
Um, and then April 27th, the week of the draft, is our second okay. show. There and we I'll go. be back in the studio uh, first time in a year, uh, over a year. Wow. So um, we're excited about that, to be back together with Sal and Greg. And our, and our draft show, is, you know, it's, it's different than the regular season matchup shows because it's not so scheme heavy. Right. And we're breaking down Washington's defense like Greg did a couple times, especially in the matchup show. Right. There's a lot of detail involved in that. This is more about the player and the traits and how they project to the NFL. I'll tell you right now what I'm doing with Justin Fields. I'm showing the deep ball throw against Clemson when he has to reset his I window. I appreciate you throwing that deep. I appreciate you showing that play, too. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, he looks off the, the route into the boundary, has to slide, reset his window. And there you see the arm talent, the deep ball accuracy. And look at that throw. I'm going to look at the seam ball he threw to the tight end versus Alabama early in the national championship game. Yeah. Again, that's an NFL pocket. I want to show quarterbacks in, in NFL situations. And it doesn't get more NFL than playing against Clemson, playing against Bama inside the pocket when you have people around you. And you still have to reset that window and make a good throw. So the first throw, you see the deep ball accuracy, the arm talent. The second throw, you see the processing. Again, the movement, the ability to hang in the pocket and bring that physical element and throw with more touch, pace, and location. I'm also going to show that second reaction run against Indiana because I think that shows, is again, strength in the pocket. And then you see the ball carrier vision and the toughness in the open field to create off schedule as a runner because he brings that to your football team. So we're going to do Mac Jones and Justin Fields to start off our first show. We're going to hit on Kyle Pitts, uh, the wide receivers, the safeties in our first show. On our second show, we'll go the other quarterbacks, um, plus the wide receivers. And we're going to do the wide receivers a little differently, John. Like you talked about with Rashad Bateman, my comp for Allen Robinson. We're going to group Rashad Bateman and Terrace Marshall from LSU together because we think they can be utilized or deployed like Robinson or Michael Thomas because they're boundary X receivers who can also create mismatches from a slot alignment. And the other grouping of wide receivers are Jalen Waddle, Kadarius Tony, Rondale Moore, Elijah Moore, Amari Rogers from Clemson. We, we look at those receivers as motion movement guys. They can also be right. schemed on manufactured touches, jet sweeps, fly sweeps, reverses, screens. That is a, a big part of NFL offenses today because they are sudden, they have dynamic traits. And with Jalen Waddle, he might be the most explosive offensive player in this draft. Yep. I, I would agree with that. Matt, fantastic. Always appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, John. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Hello, it's Tyler Roman, former NFL scout and host of the Roman on the League podcast. Every week, I update my mock draft that not only looks at the best players available, but the needs for all first-round teams. The draft board keeps changing with all the movement this year, so tune into my show, Roman Around the League. That's R-O-M-A-N Around the League podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check out all of the great shows from Empire Media. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Matt for joining me and thank you for listening. I'll be back with two more episodes this week, including a bonus one on Wednesday. Talk to you next time.